today I'm going to do a, I'm starting a, a two-sermon message. Uh, the reason why I'm doing, breaking it into two is because it's too long for one. <laughs> and I, I don't want to keep you until um, one o'clock or two o'clock today. So I'm breaking it down but it's because there's a lot to be said with what, what we're going to talk about this morning. But uh, the, the, the sermon is entitled, And Find Out What Pleases the Lord. And I've, I've taken it from two different passages of scriptures, as you can see. And the first one, from Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 10, this is what it says. And it's easy to remember this passage because it's 10, 5, 10. 10, 5, 10. Say that with me. 10, 5, 10. Just remember, Ephesians is the 10th book of the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 10. 10, 5, 10. It says, and find out what pleases the Lord. And find out what pleases the Lord. I want to begin this morning by just letting you know something. God loves you. His greatest desire in all of creation is to have a relationship with you. That is his greatest desire. And you know, I think that God has a proven track record. He has gone to great lengths to free us from the sin that the writer of Hebrews talks about that so easily entangles us and how easy it is for that to happen. So let none of us here this morning, let none of us forget that we all were once walking in darkness before we turned to the light of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us was lost until we turned our lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now it should be our desire to find out what pleases the Lord. Would you agree with that? Shake your head, yes. Yeah, no, yes. I don't see a lot, I don't see a lot of heads. Okay, there we go. That's, that should be our desire to find out what pleases the Lord. You know, when, when talking about his heavenly father, Jesus said in John chapter 8, Verse 29, he says, the one who sent me is with me and he has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. That's what Jesus says. I always do what pleases him because Jesus was the son of God and one in nature with the father. Jesus knew what pleased him. But we, on the other hand, we are fallible human beings. And so how in the world can we know what pleases him? How can we know? Well, I think that God has made it clear to us, to his people, what it takes to please him. I believe he's made it very clear. Because I think that God is not random or arbitrary in his judgments. You know, Romans 5.13, it says this. It says, to be sure... He says sin was, was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. You know, and although human, humankind had been sinning since before, you know, since the creation, and all we have to do is look back to Adam and Eve and all of humankind because of their sins, God was patient because he had not yet given the law. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 22, he had not yet given the law. 
But even without the written law, people knew right from wrong. Paul tells us in Romans 1.20 this. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from His workmanship so that men are without excuse. We, We cannot have excuse for that. Folks, this is really important. You know, in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says that they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them, at other times even defending them. Folks, we have this moral code written on our hearts. And Paul tells us that. We know instinctively when we are doing wrong because we were created in the image of God as as Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says. We were created in His image. So when we choose against that inner knowledge, what happens is we harden our hearts and and we we sear our conscience. You know, I think about when I'm I'm using my grill. All these grills have a, a, a section over here. It's usually on the, on the left-hand side that, that you can throw your meat on and you can sear it. What does searing do to the meat? On each side, it gives it a crust, doesn't it? And that's what he's talking about here. You know, when it talks about this idea of, of searing our consciousness. And eventually, we cannot tell what is good from what is bad. And Romans one twenty eight talks about that. It says, furthermore just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to their depraved minds so that they do what ought not to be done. And as unforgiven sinners, nothing we do can please God. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, he says this. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So it all sounds like doom and gloom, doesn't it? But it's not. Let me just share this. One of the saddest days in the life of King David is found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But specifically, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, the scripture says this. It says, After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But, notice what it says there, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. You know, it's the story of when David sinned with Bathsheba, if you remember that story. You know, this this sin that, that, that took place in his life, it had major ramifications for David's life. How many of you went to see, over sight and sound, see the, the, the story of David? Did anybody go? 
boy, I tell you what, that was just, I mean, it just was very evident in how it, how it, things happened there with his life. But this, this situation had, I mean, it just had major ramifications for David's life, for his family, for leadership, pretty much for the rest of his life, and not just for him. Because you see what happens, our sin sometimes doesn't just only affect us. It affects other people around us as well. For, for Bathsheba, of course, her husband Uriah had died as a result of David's sin. And the child that would be born to Bathsheba and David would die. You know, we could, we could spend a lot of time talking about the effects of sin on David's life and on his leadership. The, and the fact that his one son tried to pursue him and kill him. And many others. But the summary statement is, is a clear reminder of where it all started. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is the essence of sin in your life and my life. Displeasing God when we sin. When we sin, we displease the Lord. When we do what we want to do, what we think is good, what we desire, what we think is right instead of keeping our eyes fixed on God and saying, God, what do you say is good? God, what do you say is right? God, what do you desire in my life? So, you know, Second Samuel eleven twenty seven should cause me to pray. It should, it should cause me to examine my heart before God right now and for us to ask what in our lives, what in our thinking, in our desiring, in the way we speak, in the way we act, and what we are doing and what we are not doing, what in our lives is not pleasing to God? Every single one of us in this room, it's going to probably be something different. That we're, that we may be doing that's just not pleasing to God. You know, it, it's really important for us to also realize that for anything that is not pleasing to God to be in our lives, the effects of that will be seen in a variety of ways. It will be seen in a variety of ways. You know, it will also affect many people, not just the people around us, but also the people coming behind us. The people coming behind us. I've seen that happen in a lot of churches. You know, I remember one church in particular where the the preacher had had an affair with his secretary. And the next couple preachers that came behind him, it affected their ministry tremendously. So you see... It doesn't matter. I mean, it can happen to people around us, but especially the people coming in behind us. The next generation. So, so please, please, let us never underestimate the significance and the seriousness of what happens when we do things that aren't pleasing to the Lord, when we do things that, that displease Him. And, and I just want to pause right now, and I want you to join me as we pray about this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to get us to understand that as a people, we want to desire to please God. So let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we pray, I pray in my own life right now, I pray for those who are listening to this. We pray that you will bring things, everything to our minds and our hearts and our lives that are not pleasing to you right now. Help us to stop and to listen. Even after this message is over, pray that people will just stop and listen and consider what in our life, in my life, in their lives, is not pleasing to you. God, that that you should show me or us in our lives right now any and everything that is not pleasing to you. God, we confess right now in prayer that you know what is best and you know what is good and you know what is right and we are sinners. We are so prone to think that we know better than you what is good, that we know better than you what is right. We desire things that are displeasing to you So God, help us, we pray. God, save us from our sin. Save us from ourselves. Jesus, we we praise you. We praise you right now, even as we think about our tendency to sin, our temptations to sin, our falling into sin. And just like David, though to different degrees and at different times in our lives, God, we are so prone to wander. We're like sheep. We just wander away sometimes. And we praise you, Jesus, for for taking the price of all of our sins. Everything that we have done that is displeasing before you, O God, we pray you, Jesus, for, or we praise you, Jesus, for, for, for paying the price for our sin, for dying on the cross as the substitute for our sins. And and for experiencing the judgment so that we would not have to. The holy wrath that we deserved, you took it in our place. All glory be to your name. So out of the overflow of gratitude to you, out of the overflow of your grace in our lives right now, help us to run from sin. Help us to keep from toying with it rationalizing it, flirting with it. God, help us to run from it, to flee from it. Lord, help us in temptation to keep our eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, and on what is pleasing to you today, Father. And we pray for that today. In every temptation we face today, please lift our eyes to you and help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. And may it not be said of us today that we have done what displeases you. Father, I pray that you would help us to live for your pleasure. And in the process, know that this is good for us. That this will be good for others. And ultimately, it will be glorifying you. And God, may that be true in our lives every single day that we live. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Who in this room 
hasn't struggled with daily frustrations of displeasing the Lord. We all have, haven't we? You know, is there is there a struggle that that brings greater ache to our souls? Probably not. I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I would state my life on this. I would state my life on this, that none of us here in this room, absolutely none of us here in this room this morning, or every day that we begin our day, thinks about displeasing the Lord. I bet you none of us do, do we? Absolutely not. You know, in our minds, we, we establish this game plan that will include a good attitude, a day of wholesome activities. You know, we prepare ourselves for the possible temptations and trials by meeting early in the morning with God and giving Him our day in advance through our quiet time, our devotional time. We all want to do that, don't we? That is our desire. And yet, before the morning is halfway done, man, I did it again. I did it again. We, we fall into a number of sin traps that can be just downright discouraging, if not altogether demoralizing. And I'm here to tell you today, guys, that we have an enemy out there, and his name is Satan, and Satan wants to steal your joy, and it pleases him to do that. He wants to destroy you. He wants you to feel unhappy all the time. He wants you to be depressed. He wants to just destroy you because he wants you to be in hell with him someday. That's what he wants. So perhaps what we need to do is we need to get specific about things. And we're going to do that. Maybe our focus needs to be targeted on specific areas of our life that really need attention. And let me tell you, in in counseling, people don't like that. They don't like it, you know, because then that means that they're going to have to possibly change. King David did this a lot in the Psalms. If you look at Psalms chapter 5, and I'm, I'm, we're not going to quote that, but just go back and look at it. Psalms chapter 5 is a perfect example of how he got specific about sin in his life and about those things. Rather than praying in general terms like, Lord, help me to please you, you know, it may be more beneficial to name specific areas in our lives that we really need help with. You know, maybe someone needs help with gossiping because they, they, they just can't wait to tell somebody. Maybe it's with pornography. Maybe one of you is really struggling with pornography. And that is more and more today because of the Internet is become a major issue in this world. Maybe yours is is that you don't trust God enough. I don't know what. Every single one of us struggle with different things, but maybe we need to get specific and, you know, and, and ask for that help. So in order to know what pleases the Lord, maybe we need to look at the areas that displease Him and replace them with pleasing habits, obedient habits. Specifically, I want to talk about seven areas where we can all use help. Seven areas. Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, he calls them the the six things that God hates and the seven that are an abomination. And so let's read them here. He says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable or an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, 
hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Hmm. There are seven things there that we need to talk about this morning. We're going to get to three of them. Um, notice that Solomon begins with six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination or detestable to him. You know, this word detestable or this word abomination as used in the Bible, it means action that is wicked, that is vile, that is disgusting, that is morally wrong. And so while there aren't, you know, these aren't the only sins that, that we're going to, you know, talk about today that, that we should avoid, but these things that, that Solomon talks about, they do sum up many of the wicked things that, that God condemns. And there, you know, when we look at these things, we think, well, I don't do that, and I don't do that one, I don't do that one, well, maybe I'm that, I might, uh, I don't know, but, but really, they're, when, they, when they're done in their simplest forms, you'd be surprised at how many of those things that we might do that we don't want to do. And so the seven things God hates are the sins that deal with what I would call this, this deep heart motives of the individual. And Solomon points the finger straight at our hearts and our sinful thought processes. That's what he does. And so I don't know about you, but when reading God's word, my tendency, that I'm just talking for myself right now, my tendency is to turn to those passages that are going to comfort me or, or encourage me. That's my tendency to do. I love the book of Philippians. That's my go-to. I love that. But let me tell you something, folks. Sometimes, however, it is necessary to turn to those verses like what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, he says all Scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that they, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So sometimes we have to turn to those things that are good for teaching and rebuking and correcting. Even if we don't like to be rebuked, even if we don't like to be corrected, sometimes we need to hear those things. These verses bring before us the, the kind of teaching that we're always needing. So, so before we examine the seven things that God hates, let me give you three quick observations ab about the beginning of this passage. The first observation that I have on this, on this passage of scripture from Proverbs chapter six is this. These verses clearly emphasize the moral hideousness of the human heart. They really do. And of the world which we live in, you know, the seven evils mentioned are all around us, folks. I don't know if you picked up on it, but they are all around us. And more and more, as the day approaches, will they be around us. I mean, trying to destroy us. The seven evils are around us. And, and, and so it reminds me of what Jesus had to say. If you remember what Jesus had to say in the book of Luke, 
You know, he, he says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. And I don't think that I put that as a scripture up there, so I'm going to read it for you. This one is a, is a really good scripture. It says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. That's what he tells us. These verses do speak of the condition of the human heart. The second observation that I want to point out this morning is this, is that these verses remind us of the holiness and the purity of God and of his hatred towards sin. God hates sin. How much does God hate sin? Well, if you remember in the past, God hated sin so much that he destroyed most of the human race that he had created in in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. Remember that? He had looked upon them and he was so disgusted and he only saved a few through the ark. But to find out how much God hates sin, all we have to do is look to Calvary. All we have to look, do is look to Calvary to remind ourselves every single day that so great was the divine hatred against sin that God actually surrendered His one and only Son to the fearful suffering and anguish of a Roman cross so that the sin might once and for all be conquered. And He did that for us. He did that for us. So when you're up here, Tina, and and you're sharing and on your heart the burden, we should all get that. We should all be feeling that. And then the third observation that I just wanted to share with you is this, is that these verses remind us that true ambition and desire of God's people should be that we would live without these offenses in our lives. That our desire is to not sin. Our desire is to, every single day when we get up, to to see how much of that day we can live a life without sin. You know, there there was a, a book that Max Licata put out one of the best books that I think he ever put out was called Just Like Jesus. Anybody ever read, read that book? Well, there is a passage in that book, a, a chapter, where this guy, and I don't remember his name, but he did an experiment where he tried to do that, to, to be perfect every single day, and he failed miserably all the time. But he said the more and more he did it, the more and more he tried to become more like Jesus. And the more success he had. Now, of course, we know that until we walk across that threshold, we will be sinners saved by grace until we walk into the arms of Jesus. So, thank God it is possible to live a life that is pleasing to him. You know, he has provided victory over all things that grieve him. We are to be different people and we can be because of the sacrifice 
in the blood that was shed on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. We all need a Savior. And we need Him every single day because we sin every single day. So what are the seven things that God hates? These are the things that displease the Lord. I want to look at each one of them and I want, I, and, and let me give you kind of a sentence prayer that might help you in overcoming each deadly sin on a daily basis. And I also want to let you know that next Sunday at the end of this message that's going to go along, it's part two of this message, we're going to have an insert. It's right here. It's an insert that you can put in your Bible front and back that you can do on a daily basis, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, that you can, and it's going to have the prayer in there that you can pray to ask the Lord to help you to overcome any of the sins that are in your life. Because that should be our goal, is to try to overcome them as much as we can. Doesn't mean that we will, but that we can try to overcome them. And so what is the first one that he's talking about that God hates? Which... What's the first sin that, that, that he talks about here? The first one is this. It's called, it's called haughty and arrogant eyes or a proud look. You know, our eyes reveal the truth of our souls. That's what it does. It reveals the truth of our souls. They convey so many unspoken emotions. Eyes announce anger. Fellas, look in your wife's eyes. Because I'm telling you what, when you look into your wife's eyes, you can see a lot. Some of you are avoiding each other right now. You know, they, they can, we, we know when they're going to be mad, when they're going to be sad, when they're going to be happy, you know, when they're going to, there's something sarcastic going to come out of that mouth. You can almost tell it with the eyes that you see them with. You know, the eyes, eyes announce impatience. They announce sorrow. They announce sarcasm. They announce guilt. But they also especially can announce pride. You know, it, it's the, it's the last one that God really doesn't like. Pride does all kinds of damage. It does all kinds of damage. It hurts relationships. Pride can break up marriages. It can destroy friendships. You know, pride keeps people from getting right with God sometimes. You know, Psalm chapter 10, verse 4 says this. It says, it says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. There is no room for God. And sometimes... What pride does cause is people to think that they are right with God when they really aren't right with God. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says it perfect. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Hmm. I've, I've, I've seen that happen many times. You know, th- this truth is, is powerfully illustrated in the book of Daniel. Did anybody in your mind... Go right straight to Daniel about the, the King Nebuchadnezzar when talking about the, the haughty, prideful arrogance. Anybody here? Go to Danville. Dan, Daniel. Listen to the story. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, 
had attained such vast wealth and influence until his heart was filled with pride and conceit. Do you remember the story? Then came the dream and Daniel's interpretation of the dream. Do you remember that? Daniel told the king that God was going to bring judgment upon him and his inflated ego. God was going to do that. He was going to lose his mind and he would end up living like a wild beast. The scripture says that King Nebuchadnezzar ate grass like an oxen and he began to grow feathers. He began to grow feathers like a bird. And it happened just like Daniel said it would happen. Now, you need to be praying for your preacher that he doesn't get arrogant and you come here to church one Sunday and he's out there eating grass and he looks like a, like a, like a half a beast with, with feathers on him. You need to be praying about that. And finally, the king regained his sanity and he came to his senses and he praised the most high God. And this is what he said in Daniel chapter four, verse 37. He says, I, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and, and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's what he tells him. You know, it doesn't always happen in that dramatic manner. But sooner or later, one way or the other, pride will bring a person down. When, when pride creeps into a Christian's life, it will keep him from being used of God. And eventually it will bring God's punishment upon him. And God hates this proud look, this haughty eyes of pride. In James chapter 4 verse 10, James says this, he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and, and he shall lift you up. There was this young woman who came to her pastor one day and she said this to him. She said, I have become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control. Oh yeah? What is that? Every time I am at church, I begin to look around at all the other women and I realize that I am the prettiest one in the whole congregation. <laughs> None of the others can compare with my beauty. So, pastor, what can I do about this sin? And the pastor replied, Mary, 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 that is not a sin. That's just a mistake. <laughs> that was a pretty good comeback, I think for the haughtiness of that, of that statement. Folks, we all need to realize that our poop stinks just as bad as the next person's. It, it does. We should not be setting ourselves up above anybody else because we're all sinners saved by grace. So what should our prayer be? You know, Psalm 139, verse 24, is that, you know, it, it, basically I have this, God, guard me all this week from hidden arrogance, and may I be humble before a holy God. And notice what it says there. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Lead me in the way everlasting. So God hates haughty, arrogant eyes and a proud look. But also, God hates a lying tongue. You know, and not all lies are big and bold ones, are they? Half-truths, little white lies, they can flow freely from many of a lips. Exaggerations, too. You know, the one place that I have always found exaggerations to really take place quite a bit, and that's at ministers' meetings. At ministers' meetings, a great example of, of exaggerations, you know, one minister says to another one, well, how many did you have in church on Sunday? Well, I had 50. Well, how many did you have? Well, I had 51. <laughs> you know, it works just like that sometimes. False words of flattery are commonly heard. Oh, you look really nice in that dress this morning. <laughs> Proverbs 12.22 says this, the Lord detests, in other words, it's an abomination to him. The Lord detests lying lips. He delights in people who are trustworthy. And Jesus spoke of Satan. Remember what he said in John chapter 8, verse 44? He talked about Satan there. And he says, he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what he tells us. So when we speak the truth, we are never more like Jesus. And when we lie, we are never more like the father of lies. God's hatred of lying was dramatically demonstrated in the first century church immediately following Pentecost. Do you remember the story? Members of the church had showed deep concern for one another. And what was happening was members of the church were, were in need. And so they would often, people would go out and sell their properties and they would bring the money to the apostles and the apostles would distribute that money to families that were in need. And so in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we hear about this story, and I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you the story about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, 1 through 11. They, they sold some of the land just like Barnabas, but what they did was they kept back part of the money, and Ananias brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, it wasn't the sin of keeping back the money they could have kept back the money if they wanted to. But here's what the problem was. Ananias made it appear as if he had brought all the money, but he didn't. He didn't bring it. Peter said to Ananias, he says, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell at their feet dead, and fear came upon them. Then the same thing happened to Sapphira. The Bible doesn't tell us where Ananias and Sapphira were, where they stood in their relationship with God. But one thing is sure, folks. One thing is absolutely sure. God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. And he hates lying. God doesn't always deal with sin of lying in such a dramatic way. Because if he did, I suspect that there would be a lot more sudden deaths in the average church or a lot less attendance. Because people lie about everything other than their offerings. You know, we can lie by making promises and commitments that we don't keep. We can lie 
by not living the life that we say that we're living, professing to be one thing and in private being something else. And may the Lord help us to see what a terrible God dishonoring thing it is to lie. And we all do it. We've all done it in some way or another. And, you know, and, and so we need to be careful that we don't. When we lie, we can count on retribution coming in one way or the other. And so what should our prayer be? What should our prayer be? I think that the writer of Psalms 120 verse 2 hits it right on the head. Psalm 120 verse 2 says this. It says, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from deceitful tongues. Here it says, save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. That's a great prayer. God, alert me to the destructive force of my tongue. Stop me from every form of lying. I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to tell a little white lie. I don't want to tell, gee, yeah, I, I, want, to, I want to stop that. I want to be honest and use that honesty in the frame of love. We can be loving and be honest. In other words, don't be honest and absolutely destroy someone, but show them in love. And the last thing that we're going to talk about here this morning, and we'll get to the other four next week, is that God hates hands that shed innocent blood. You know, I want to begin this section by saying to you this. God is for life. God is for life. God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Solomon clearly states that the Lord considers murder an abomination. This statement refers to cold-blooded murder. And most of us, we're not guilty of murder. But you know what? According to the scripture, all of us may be guilty because none of us can say that we have never harbored hatred against another person. You know, we may have never orchestrated killing someone by using a gun or a knife. But here's what Jesus had to say. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, these words, he says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to the judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and reconcile to them, then come and offer your gift. Anyone who is angry with someone else and it's unreasonable without offering room for forgiveness commits the sin equivalent to murder did you get that in there that's what he's telling us we could say you fool you raka you fool but it's the same thing in Jesus' eye he, 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 he does that by saying you heard it was said but now i'm going to tell you 
And he does that all the way through the Sermon on the Mount there. You know, you heard it was said, but I, but this is what it, you know, this is, this is the way it is. And that's what he tells us there. And the apostle John, he reiterates this concept in 1 John chapter 3 verse 15. This is what he says. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Those are some pretty serious words. John likens hatred to murder because hatred is the root cause of murder and murder is the fruit of hatred. Hate is like this. Hate is like acid. It can damage the vessel in which it's in, stored in as well as destroy the object in which it's poured on. It's a two-way street. So what is the opposite of hating? That's right. The opposite of hating someone is loving them. And Jesus tells us we should love our enemies, even our enemies, and not seek revenge upon them, but look for ways to help them. That's sometimes a hard pill to swallow. You know, this passage specifically says the shedding of innocent blood. And when I think of this scripture, I cannot help but think of the most innocent of all, and that is the unborn child. And I'm not going to get into that because that's such a big thing in our society. But let me tell you, I'll remind you of what I said at the very beginning of all this. God is for life. He loves life. Jesus reminds us, In John chapter 8, verse 44, of who is behind all of this. He said in John 8, 44, The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. The devil is our mortal enemy and he wants to destroy us. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against one another. Although it seems like we've made it like that. But our battle is not against one another. It is against the principalities of this dark world and the evil forces in the heavenly realms. It's against Satan and his demons. That's our true battle. It's not against one another. And I would hope and pray that somewhere down the line we would, we would all figure that out. And so, what should our prayer be? What should our prayer be? And it's going to be in this form that I'm going to give you next week. It's this, is that God direct me to wholesome and healthy ways to solve and dissolve my control, my uncontrollable anger. You know, keep me from the sin of shedding innocent blood and, and help me to, to, to not hate, but to love like Jesus loves me. That's what it's all about. So we're going to we're going to continue next week but right now you know it, it's talking about the haughty eyes or the, the 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 sin of pride and then of course um as we continue on down through there the the lying tongue and and he talks about the 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 hands that shed innocent blood and not really even understand or realizing that that it 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 comes down to even what we think sometimes and, and how we treat our brothers. And, and if we hate one another, you know, he talks about that. That relates to, to murder. And, and we don't want that. What we want is we want to get rid of hate and we want to love like Jesus loves. 
That's what we want to do. And so next week we will talk about several other things that Solomon talks about in the book of Proverbs. But until then, we offer the opportunity for you to come this morning. If you, um, if you need to, to, to confess your, a, a sin or if you need to, to ask the Lord to, to forgive you of something, if you need to be immersed into Christ this morning, it's going to be cold, but we can still do it. I'll go in there with you. If, if you need to come because you, ha- you have something that you want us to pray for you about, you know, we, we don't want to leave any stone unturned because it's important that we do what pleases the Lord. As, as Paul said in 10.5.10 there, and find out what pleases the Lord. You know, it, it wasn't just out in the open. He says, we have to find it. Find out what pleases the Lord. So you go on that search this week and find out what pleases the Lord in your life. And then come back and tell us. Find out what pleases the Lord. I'm going to turn it over to the band to come this morning and we'll close our service out today.